The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to This is Catholicism on member-supported Restoration Radio. I'm your host, Jason Cordiano, and on this episode, I'm joined by Father Philip L. Drucker. Welcome, Father, and thank you for joining us again. Hello. Hello, everyone. This is Catholicism uses the Harps Catechism of the Catholic Religion. We invite you to follow along if you have the book. There is a link to the PDF in the episode notes. The past two episodes have been about the Holy Catholic Church and the form of her government. This is all under the ninth article of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Last episode, Father, we concluded with our Lord Jesus Christ organizing his church, the Catholic Church, conferring his own power upon the apostles and sending them forth everywhere. They were conferred with the threefold power of the teaching office, the priestly office, the pastoral office, not pastoral, Right, Father? <laughs> yes, no, no, no sheep involved. Well, at least in the... <laughs> and all this was done under the, the supremacy of St. Peter, which leads to question 11. Why were the apostles to exercise their office only under the supreme authority of St. Peter? Well, to, to lead off with the actual catechism answer, it's because Christ, in order to maintain unity and union appointed St. Peter to be his representative upon earth and the visible head of the whole church. So there are several things here to speak about, and especially in our own time when there are a lot of Protestants, at least in the United States, where you most of your apologetics are either towards Protestants or Novosordites, there are some things that are going to be very difficult for Protestants to understand, one of them that St. Peter has a primacy, and then that he is over the entire church and the representative of Christ on earth. And that is something that Protestants don't like, uh, especially because it has consequences for them, the most obvious being that they can no longer believe essentially whatever they like. So th this this leads into a very weighty and important section of, of the the, the article that we're that we're discussing in the in the catechism, which is the proof of the primacy of Saint Peter and why it is in fact the case. So to begin with, the we have the the idea of Saint Peter being the representative of Christ, and really the reason for this is that. Christ was going to soon ascend into heaven, and so in order for the church to, to remain on earth, there it was necessary that there is a visible structure so that people can find the, tr the true church, the church of Christ, which without a successor to Christ as the, the head of the church on earth would be very difficult for people. And it's a general principle that God will always work through through his instruments. He very rarely directly influences events, especially human events. Uh, an example would be 
Judith in the Old Testament, who God didn't just strike Holofernes with a lightning bolt. He sent Judith to as his instrument to cut off the head of Holofernes. Uh, David and Goliath, God didn't just strike down Goliath directly. He sent David as his instrument. And so very often God uses instruments, and that's something I think that Protestants don't really like to believe because that they prefer to, that they have their own personal correct connection directly with God himself, and they, they don't have to go through uh, any sort of intermediary between themselves and God. So the idea of St. Peter being the representative of Christ is really, he's if we think of the, the mystical body of, of Christ, we can almost think of St. Peter as being the, the neck of the body, Christ, of course, being the head, and then St. Peter is the really the neck which transmits everything from Christ to the to the members of his of his body and so the apostles as, as to get back more to the actual question why the apostles were not to exercise their office except under the supreme authority of St Peter it really boils down to the necessity of a hierarchy of government just think if the pope himself the the, if the, the successor of St. Peter, the, the Pope, were to have to immediately and directly interact with each Catholic in the entire world, you might have several million persons, and if each one of those persons, every single question had to be referred directly to the Pope, that would just be chaos. The, the, the poor man would would have absolutely no way to, to take care of everything that he needs to do. So there's a there's a hierarchy of all government, and that's we see that in even just the the civil governments around us. We have in the United States, we have the the city mayor, and then there's the the county commission, and then the the state government, and then the federal government, and that is because the 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 one government, the federal government, can't cover everything and take care of everything, and at the same time the city government and the, the local government is not sufficient to take care of everyone's, all of the political needs of, of the people. So you have a, a hierarchy of government, which is visible in all societies, and that also exists in the church. So yes, the apostles were the bishops and, and very important, and their work was invaluable, but at the same time, they were subject to St. Peter, who of course in turn is subject to Christ himself. So that is why the apostles were put under St. Peter, is more for the order and, uh, I guess, economy of government that, that is necessary for any organization to run smoothly. Yes, so you alluded to this earlier already with question 12, but is not Christ himself the head of the church? Yes, of course, Christ is the head of the church. As, as the question says, Christ is undoubtedly the head of the church, but the invisible head. And again, as, as I was saying, the 
the church is, as we learned from the previous few episodes, uh, the the few the questions prior in the ninth article, that the church is a visible society on earth, and therefore, when Christ was leaving to ascend into heaven, as I as I said before, he wanted to leave a six not really a successor, but a a substitute in his place to to lead those of the faithful who are still on earth. Now, we have to always remember, which is something perhaps that is forgotten very often, is that the church is not just the people here on earth. There's also the, the poor souls in purgatory, and which is the church suffering, and then the church militant, uh, what, excuse me, the church triumphant, which is the, this blessed in heaven. And so we have the, the church militant, which is ourselves, the church suffering in purgatory, and the church triumphant in heaven. And the Pope is, or St. Peter in this case, as we're speaking about St. Peter, the St. Peter was the visible representative that Christ left behind when he ascended into heaven. So as I was saying before, we have the the whole idea of the mystical body. We could think of St. Peter as being the neck, but at the same time, uh, we have the idea of the vine and the branches, which uh, which our our Lord speaks of in, in the Gospel of St. John, as himself being the vine and we, we being the branches. And Really, the, the whole reason for a vicar of Christ on earth was, well, I guess we'll get into that more in the, in the, <laughs> in the next question. Uh, I should probably read the, the next question before I give, before I, All right, uh, before I give the, the answer to it. Question 13. Why did Christ ordain that the church should have also a visible head together with the invisible one? And once again, to go back to the to the to the book, because the church is a visible community or body, and a visible body must also have a visible head. So, as the the author brings up here, that there must be a visible government in any kingdom. Just just imagine that uh, you had a, a, gov- a country with no government, as sometimes happens in civil wars or or periods of collapse and revolution it's absolute chaos there's there's no way to maintain order and it just becomes a survival of the fittest type of situation and as he points out here in the book although all of the kingdoms in the world are governed by god in an invisible manner so of course god is the the invisible ruler of even all political kingdoms or countries as we would say nowadays there aren't too many kingdoms left but he does not directly influence the the rule of those places instead he uses the instrument as we said before we we said that god normally uses instruments in this case god uses the instrument of a civil government to to govern a a, a civil kingdom and so the the spiritual kingdom of Christ, the, the church, is the same. There, there is a visible government, even though Christ is, of course, governing the church from heaven. And so we have seen as, as well that because the church is visible, it makes it possible for people to discover it. So we, 
we hear in the gospel, of course, that Christ commanded the apostles to go out and preach and baptize all nations, and those that believe are to be saved, and those who do not believe will be condemned. And in order for there to be a guilt, really, on the part of of the people who are being preached to, there has to be some visible society for them to belong to, if, if they're just vaguely uh, believing in good, uh, as most modern people would probably say, that everything is just be good. Uh, that's not something that you can put your finger on and what what does it take? Uh, so you if, if the church is, if everyone must belong to the church, there has to be a way of knowing whether or not you belong to the church, and that is that the church is a visible society. And of course, being a visible society, it is necessary to have a visible form of government, because all, all society must have government. So Protestants will very generally deny the, the visible nature of the church, that Christ established one particular society, the, the, the Catholic Church, that is necessary to belong to. So they, they deny that it's important to belong they deny that it's important to belong to the the Church of Christ. They just believe in in the redemption, I suppose, and you're you're saved. But at the same time, what do they do? They gather themselves into visible communities. You see them at least in the United States everywhere. There's a Protestant church on almost every street corner, and they're trying to make a visible community, even though they deny that the Church of Christ is a visible community. And this really is a contradiction of sacred scripture, especially we see in the the Acts of Apostles, the the Christians gathering, as, as we saw in, in previous, previous shows, the, the gathering of Christians and the visible communities that were formed, and that really is the the visible nature of the the Catholic Church. And so to deny all of that really puts the Protestants in a dilemma, because if you have, if you do in fact have a visible society, there must be someone in charge of it. And at the same time, we can see both from sacred scripture and our own personal experience that there is indeed a visible society of the Church. And so to not belong to that is is wrong, but at the same time, to to deny that it has a visible head is it puts you sort of in a in a um, in a dilemma because you have a, a body without a head that you have to belong to and that, that makes it very hard. There's a, there's a contradiction in that. So then, of course, uh, to bring up a question in regard to today's situation. Right, Father. So how do we reconcile not having a pope today? Well, we have the idea or the fact that a, a vacancy in the Holy See, which of course is something which is always temporary, does not take away the visible nature of the Church, nor the visible structure of the church. So really what it, it boils down to is the 
the whole idea of a visible church as opposed to an invisible church and what is necessary for that. So if we have the idea of an invisible church, which is something that Protestants mainly stick to, you have the idea which pretty much reduces membership in the church to a religious religious experience, and that's something that they will they will all tell you about the the, the time when they were saved, as they call it in this country. Okay. Uh, they reduce membership in the church to that religious experience, and so as long as you have that experience, you're part of the church. So opposed to this is the the Catholic notion of the visibility of the church, which is the what it is that makes the church militant to be able to be known for certain with a certain judgment that this is the true church of Christ and this visibility requires uh, not just internal religious acts of people or even external religious acts of people uh, nor partial churches as, as they, the Vatican II people like to say that people are in partial communion, but it requires that in order to be visible, the church has to be essentially, formally, and always visible as the one universal church and the kingdom of Christ. Now, of course, in regards to today's situation, we have the death of a pope in 1958, and we have a very long vacancy of the sea. And so the, the tendency is to think, well, the, there's no pope, therefore the church really ceases to exist. And that's not really true because the, the church is still there and the church is still visible, even though there's no pope. Just like in a, a secular nation, uh, in the civil society, you would never say that a nation ceases to exist between two different governments. So, for instance, in the United States, we have the, every four years we have an election, and the the one president finishes his term of office, and the next president begins his office. And you would never say between those two that the United States does not exist, even though the, yes, the person in charge of the government is changing, and we have the, the unique situation in the United States of an election in November, but you don't assume control of the government until January. So there's the, that three-month period where it seems like there's not really a, a government or it, it's, it's very shaky, but no one would say that the country ceases to exist. And you wouldn't say that, oh, we have to redraw the map of the world because the United States doesn't exist anymore because there's no no government in the United States. And so the, the same applies to the Catholic Church as well. We have, yes, there there is no Pope currently, but even in the past, there, there was always the death of the Pope and then a period of time before the election of the, the next Pope. And usually it was, it was fairly short, usually several weeks, but it would sometimes drag on into years, uh, depending on really the situations of the world, whether there was a war going on or certain countries were not speaking to each other or travel was particularly difficult. If a pope died in the winter, uh, many of the cardinals would not be able to travel. And so there was always 
a period of time between the death of one pope and the election of the next pope. And what we tend to do in our own situation is is say, well, there there hasn't been a pope for 50 years, so therefore the, the papacy has ceased to exist and the church is no longer visible. But we should always remember that in relation to the whole, 50 years is really not a very long time. And it's really sad to say that, is, is that it's we, we could live our entire lives and, and not see a pope. But in comparison with the, the entire length of the life of the church, that's really not very long at all. Uh, we can think of the, the prophecy in the Old Testament, which Jacob gave uh, to, his, to his sons as he was dying. He, he gave each one a blessing and a prophecy. And to Judah, he said that the, the scepter of government would not pass from the line of Judah until the time came for the birth of the Messiah. And that was true, that, that held true. Uh, but Herod, the, the king, who actually did take the scepter from the house of Judah, did so almost 40 years before the birth of Christ. So we could say that we're in a very similar situation to the Jews at that time, where you're expecting something to happen, the, the birth of the Messiah, because the scepter was taken from the house of Judah, but at the same time, you had to wait the 40 years. And when you look at it very, very in the essentially in the, the, the span of one lifetime, 40 years seems like a very long time. But then you think of how long before the, the time of Christ, the patriarch Jacob lived, and you think, oh, well, four years is not very much in comparison to around 2,000 or 2,500 years. That's, they, they, there's really no comparison. It's an insignificant amount of time. And so in our own situation, yes, there has been a vacancy for 50 years, or actually more than 50 years now, but in comparison with the whole, it is not particularly significant. It, it's it's a very short time in comparison with the whole. So that 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 is is something that we can take comfort in is that well, it seems to us to be a very long time in itself. It's not. Uh, also, with regard to the the current situation we have the idea of the church being invaded essentially by by heretics and and some would say that that takes away the 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 nature or the visibility of the church and what we can do is we can look back to to uh, world war ii uh, think of the all of the invasions that happened during world war ii where germany went out and they invaded most of Europe, and uh, I decided to, to to use France as an example because that's probably the one country that most people know of that Germany invaded more than than others. Uh, so France was invaded by Germany, was occupied by the German army, but no one would say that it was no longer France. It was it was still France. The the people there were still very much Frenchmen. Uh, I, I know that from speaking to some of the French seminarians we have here. Uh, they definitely were not Germans uh, during the occupation by Germany. <laughs> they 
considered themselves Frenchmen. They they were Frenchmen. They spoke French. They they still ate their French food. Uh, there was even still during the occupation by Germany an official French government, uh, which wasn't in France. It's true. It fled to to England, but it was considered to be the authority over the French nation. Uh, the the Germans did set up a a sort of a puppet government in Vichy France, which was pretty much under German control. But then the the Allies planned the, the Normandy invasion. Uh, you, you wouldn't say that they were landing on the beaches of Germany. They were, they were landing on the beaches in France, in Normandy. And the fact that that France that they were invading was occupied by Germany was the whole reason for the invasion, but it didn't stop it from being France. And so to to apply that to the, the situation in the church, we have the the heretics, the modernists, who have invaded the church and they didn't they didn't use an army, they used uh, mainly uh, spies, essentially. And but they have managed to to occupy the the structure of the church and at the same time, they have changed the the externals, and the they have made it evident that they are not Catholics, that they are not the, the hierarchy of the church. Just in the same way that the the German supported government was set up in France, but at the same time, it was very obvious that it was German oriented and not truly French. The same way the the modernists have made it very evident that they are modernists and not Catholics. And so the the visibility of the church really shines through because it is so obvious that they are not uh, that they are not Catholic. And when someone seeks the the Catholic Church, they they read the the fathers, they read sacred scripture, and they they are led by the the evident truth in the, the the arguments in favor of Catholicism, and all of a sudden they 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 reach this this Vatican II monster, and they become immediately confused because if they have been studying the Church, they will say, "But this is not the Church that I've been researching. This is not the Church that is." Evidently, the Church of Christ, and that is really how the Church remains visible in our in our own situation. It becomes evident that the Novus Ordo is not the Catholic Church; it is not the Church of Christ, and so we have the the visibility shining through that the we have the whole tradition of the church ever since the days of the apostles the time of christ the history of the popes all of the the encyclicals the everything that makes the church to be the church that as we know it is still there and it becomes immediately evident that the modernists are not catholic because they are so different and everything that everything that they say is in direct opposition to the the teaching of the church and Christ. And so it, it becomes obvious that they are not Catholics and therefore 
the only conclusion is that the church as it was before Vatican II and the, the anti-popes that we have had is in fact the Catholic Church and the Church of Christ. So that's the real, uh, the real contradiction is all these clues left over that if you go to the Novus Ordo and then you realize it doesn't match what came before, and then the then because of you maybe if you're a Novus Ordo sort of conservative, your your passion for your zeal for the church would lead you to try to defend these things, but then you come to the the kind of the oxymoron of why am I having to make excuses for the quote unquote Pope? Yes. So so it is the this relief that what you uh this Novus Ordo Church, you know, you don't have to defend as the Catholic Church. Yes, yes, that that is is I think what perhaps puzzles many people is that they have they think they have to try to defend the the Novus Ordo nonsense that they get as the Catholic Church, and really it should be immediately obvious this is not the Catholic Church. So why why am I defending it? I I shouldn't. I should really not be here at all. And sadly, many of them don't know where to go from there. So hopefully some of them will listen to our radio show. <laughs> right. And so as the examples you brought up in, in scripture that, you know, the church is still here and all of the information is available that, you know, all the clues left over that uh, even though, you know, we're so many years in the desert, so to speak, that the uh, the purpose of the church is a, is alive and well as well that you know we're not just left as orphans so to speak. Yes, that that that's, that is very true. We still have we don't have a pope right now to to settle perhaps the immediate controversies as to who should do what and who's has jurisdiction over over whom, but at the same time we have all of the essentials are covered. We have the the teaching of all of the popes in the history of the church. We have the tradition of all the fathers. We have the, really the teaching of Christ to guide us. And no one of us would say that we are not subject to the pope. We would say that, in fact, Sedevacantists are the ones who are the most perfectly subject, subject to the pope because we would obey and we do obey without hesitation everything that the Pope and the Catholic Church teaches, whereas those who really try to excuse the, the Novus Ordo Popes are not really subject to the authority of the Pope, because you read them something from the Syllabus of Errors, and then they will say, well, it's like this, or well, that, that was at the time. They will always lead in with some sort of excuse, whereas a Catholic would say, yes, that is the teaching of the Church, that is Pope Pius IX speaking, and yes, I believe that. I, f I adhere completely to that. And so that is, is really what it comes down to, is that everyone thinks that Sedevacantists are not in obedience to the Pope, or they, they disobey the Pope, but we are really the most obedient and we follow the Pope with all sincerity. We don't question what he says. And so that is, I think, the, the, the big difference between Sedevacantists and the Novus Ordo Conservatives. 
Well, Father, we've covered a lot in this episode, even though it was only three questions. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, we will uh, continue on next time. And as we close out today's episode, and I want to thank Father Eldrocker for his time and being with us on this episode. Is there anything else, Father, you would like to add before uh, before we end today's episode? I think that we have uh, covered just enough to be a little bit of a spoiler for future episodes. So if we we cover too much more now, we won't have much to talk about later. So I think that we should conclude the episode. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, once again, Father, thank you for your time. And we'll talk to you again next time as we continue this series. Uh, God bless you. God bless you, too. If you have any questions about anything you heard today on today's episode, please email questions at truerestoration.org. We want to remind you that This is Catholicism is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to copyright at truerestoration.org. All of us here at member-supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful, and beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Jason Guardiano. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.